Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. I'm DJ. DJ's back. He's still here. He's filling in for Jimmy, of course, for the next few months. We've got a pretty cool topic today. You know, everybody has them, those cards that you play, and you're like, this card is awesome. And for some reason, you never see your opponents play that card. You're like, am I the only one that thinks this card is awesome? And so we're calling this our underrated favorites. Totally. And running into new people in different playgroups, those come to light. You reach across the table and you're like, oh, what is that card? Let me see that. You take a picture of it or something like that. And that's happened as I've been playing more with Josh. We go to GPs and we play against different people and we see some awesome underrated cards. Yeah. So today we're going to be making the case for some of our favorite underrated cards and why you should be playing them. But before we get into all that, remember, if you see a cool card during this episode that you want to get your hands on and put in all your decks, and I assume it's going to be all the cards we talk about because they're all awesome, um, go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone. If you use that affiliate link, when you order your magic product, your singles, anything at all, you really are supporting this show, Game Nights, all of our content. And like I always say, you're watching a magic podcast. You're going to purchase that stuff anyway. So we're not asking you to do anything you don't already do. Just use the affiliate link and you'll just be like, it's like free added value. It's like gravy. And then uh, our other sponsor to talk about here, and this is interesting because, so it's Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro is our other sponsor. And DJ, I found out, had never tried out the Eclipse sleeves. So the last time we played, DJ, I, I gave you some Eclipse sleeves. Let me know. You tried them out. That's right. You gave me 100 pack of Eclipse sleeves. It's perfect for Commander decks. Uh, but I didn't use it on a Commander deck. I took them to a Monday Night Magic, oh. and we played Battle Bond. And so I divided them up, and we sleeved our decks in these Eclipse sleeves. And they're wonderful. Great shuffle feel, very strong. They're so good uh, that my friend took 50 of those Eclipse sleeves and <laughs> just like said, these, oh, these are my new draft <laughs> sleeves. Thank you. And I'm like, now, I, now I'm short of uh, sleeving them up on a commander deck, but that's okay because you've talked about how rugged they are. I think that they're perfect for draft sleeves, perfect for your favorite commander deck that just has so many shuffles in it. You know, I wanted to say something too. Um, this is something not many people know, but Ultra Pros actually switched their entire line of sleeves over to like the Eclipse durability technology. So like we're used to the idea that sleeves with printed backgrounds are going to maybe be not as high quality. They're going to fall apart a little mm -hmm. faster, but that's actually not true with the Ultra Pro stuff anymore. So if you get like say the Teferi sleeves from Dominaria, they have the same durability as the Eclipse sleeves now. They will, they will pass that same stretch test. So I actually like using those sleeves sometimes now, even on like Commander decks, whereas before a couple of years ago that you couldn't even think about doing that. So something to be aware of i think a lot of people don't know that's cool um and the last way to support the show is directly if you go to patreon.com slash command zone in fact we call out one lucky patron every single episode and this episode is dedicated to duncan, duncan saunders. saunders duncan you rock okay we're about to get in the main topic but there is i wanted to put something on your radar for those people that don't maybe finish the episode we are going to be doing a giveaway Near the end, after we go through the main topic, we're giving away copies of Ari Salvatore's new book, Timeless. It doesn't actually come out until September 4th, but we have some friends in the book publishing and printing business. If you're a longtime listener, you'll know we used to give away books all the time. And 
uh, our friend Joe Scalora sort of contacted me and has some books to give away. And this is actually a series that I used to read when I was a kid. So I'm a fan of Ari Salvatore. And so if you keep listening all the way to the end, you'll have a chance to win an advanced copy of a new book, which is pretty cool. Okay. Now let's talk about our favorite underrated cards. You know, DJ, new to the show, gives us some new opportunities. It gives us a chance to... Well, I mean... Like you said, anytime you're playing with new people or in a new meta or a new play group, it's really an opportunity to sort of get a new perspective, right? You have your own views on the format and and they line up with with mine and, and Jimmy and I were very close. So with ours sometimes, but not all the time, and that's really a great chance to sort of open up to things maybe we wouldn't have had a chance to talk about before. Absolutely. And I think underrated cards also give us an opportunity to just put a little bit of style in our deck, a little bit of style on the board. Uh, you play an Eternal Witness, everyone's like knows exactly what it is. It's not something exciting. You play some of the cards that we have here and people are like, let me let me read that. Ooh, they, they think it's spicy. And then there's that, that little moment of respect when you show them a card that they've never seen before. And so that's a little fun moment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's, you know, it's like, you know something they don't. It's not like a braggarty thing. I always like it when somebody like writes down a card, like, man, I need to put that in this and let me write it down so I don't forget it. That makes you feel good. Like, yeah, I know my stuff. Like, I know things. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, some, some of us need, to, need you know. That's All right. right, whatever. Okay, so. Well, I, start, I mean, yeah, should we just begin? I want to start talking. We might come back to a little bit about, you know, underrated and why it's underrated. Or, By the way, one thing we should do is a disclaimer. Uh, we're kind of doing a gut reaction of underrated. Some of these cards just really aren't played that often. The numbers on websites and in deck lists are really, really low. And in other cases, they're pretty well represented. We just think they should be way higher. So it could be one of either of these groups. It's not like you'll never see these cards, but we honestly think that they should be in more decks. Right. It could literally be a card that you've never seen anyone else play, or it could be a card that's like the 15th most popular card in that color, according to EDH rec, but we think it should be the third most popular yeah, card in that color. So, okay. Without further ado, I want to start off. Yeah, you go ahead. I want to talk about polluted bonds. Three black black for an enchantment, and whenever a land enters the battlefield under an opponent's control, that player loses two life and you gain two life. Now, it sounds like a very small effect. Five-man enchantment doesn't do anything. Your opponents have to play lands. But I like this type of enchantment because it's this slow draining effect. It actually reminds me a little bit of Extort, a favorite mechanic of mine, and a really powerful one, too. And... Sometimes commander players, they don't really care very much. They play a land so sure, all my lands turn into shock lands, whatever. And to be fair, a lot of the times, uh, two damage here and there doesn't matter very much, but it goes around the table and everyone plays lands and suddenly you're up eight life and then it sticks around again and you're up even more life and slowly people are getting drained over and over and over again. And this is the kind of strategy that I really love. You draw the game out, you punish people in small increments, and you sort of control what's going on as you pad your life total up. I love it. I love this kind of strategy. I like this card a lot um, because I was a big fan of Ankh of Mishra, like in the original old oh, revised yeah. days. I remember I had an old deck with that. And this reminds me a little bit of that. It is also good that it's kind of a little bit smaller. Like imagine this did five damage and you gain five life. That would almost make it worse because people would be like, okay, well, now I have to kill you. But <laughs> two is like, eh, slightly annoying. I'm still going to play my land, and I'm not really going to hold that big of a grudge. Also, 
I think one of the things that EDH as a format, it's sort of from a balanced perspective, has trouble with is there's not a lot of stuff that punishes the super greedy green plays, mm-hmm. the explosive vegetation, sky shroud claims, even the rampant growths cultivates all that stuff. Green really has a huge leg up in being able to use land-based ramp and get a lot of lands onto the battlefield that there just aren't a lot of cards that punish that, that we're sort of quote unquote allowed to play. Yeah, it, it violates the social contract that we kind of agree to uh, when you play land destruction or those are the things that that you would normally try to do to punish the green player that's doing that stuff and it's difficult this is a card that can kind of do that thing for you a little bit i mean if you're a green player and now you want to play explosive vegetation (laughs) you're gonna have probably taken six damage but you, you know you also played your land and somebody else gained six life that turn it's still you'll probably do it but at the same time that's punishing that's what is that like? It's a really a fun. Your, it's a really fun life? effect. Yeah, yeah, it's really and also it's really great in multiples. I know that you can't just stack your deck full of these in a singleton format. Uh, but I was playing against someone. They were they had a clever impersonator. They're looking for something to copy, and they just kind of smiled and copied the polluted bonds. And suddenly, oh, brutal. <laughs> the other people at the table were like, "I I I can't play lands anymore. This is so frustrating." Imagine if you so have a shock land. <laughs> Now, you, if you play it, you're going to take six. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I like that card. All right. Um, you have a couple more than I do, so do you want to just go twice? Just yeah, I'll to go start twice. Us out? Okay. Uh, let's start off with a card that kind of goes to the other end of the spectrum, where we have Polluted Bonds was slow, controlling, draw the game out, little tiny bits of advantage. And then we have a card called Disrupt Decorum. I remember this one when it came out, but I haven't seen it much. I haven't seen it much either, except for in my own decks. (laughs) Uh, Two red red for a sorcery. Goad all creatures you don't control. Let me remind you what goad means. Until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. So it just causes a massive attacking chaotic game to occur in this single turn. And I think that it's incredibly powerful to be able to make your opponents attack each other and squabble with each other. And then as it comes back around to your turn, you have almost an empty board that you can then attack into your opponents doing. I see Disruptacorum regularly take out a player at the table. Yeah. You know, Goad is one of those mechanics that until you see it in action, it's hard to tell how powerful it is. And then you also realize, and this is something every time a Goad card gets played, that it's like it reminds me is that it also protects you for that turn. So if you go to all creatures you don't control, that means they can't attack you, which means you just made yourself immune to being attacked for a turn. That alone is very powerful, not to mention the fact that they actually can't not attack. They have to attack, so they're going to attack each other. And like you said, the mayhem occurs. But there's also just this very practical usage of like, it. It the card text actually says you can't be attacked, kind of. So. Yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, obviously, they could play a haste creature or something that didn't get affected by it. There's ways around it. There's ways around everything. But this is one of those cards that, and like you said, it could just kill other players outright where it's not necessarily something they want to do. Because we've all been in those games where you're like, that one player is probably going to win. And I actually don't want to take out the other players because I need their help. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) they play that, and you're like, well, I have to kill you now. I mean, I don't have a choice. Yeah. I think it causes a new level of politics at the table when the first person that has to swing has to decide really a bad decision of swing, picking which other opponent to swing into. And sometimes it's a great way to take out random small creatures 
And I really like just the chaos that is involved in this card. The other thing, too, is they have to attack, which means they're going to be tapped out for the most part when it comes back to your turn. So it's not just protect you. It's also sort of tap all their creatures. Obviously, again, they can play creatures, but you can really take down the shields on somebody who's like, well, I can block everything. You know, I have a ton of tokens or whatever. Oh, yeah? You have to attack somebody else, and then I can now freely attack you. Yeah, the the player that first has to make a decision has to uh, attack into other players, especially with his vulnerable creatures, and then leaves himself open to attack as it goes around the table. Now, this... Yeah, the best. player to your left is oh my the gosh. most hit by oh, yeah. it, for sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, remind me to sit to the right of you. <laughs> All right, uh, let me do my first one, and let me just say, the reason that I have slightly fewer cards uh, on my list than DJ does is because I have been a part of this, I think, is my fourth underrated cards episode, and it's starting to become hard. So... I'm pretty sure I didn't repeat any from past episodes, but if I did, give me a little break here. I wonder if I pulled any of the ones that you've already done. I think you haven't actually looking through it, but Ooh. I don't. There's no, so actually, many cards in Magic, seriously. Yeah. There's so actually, many good ones. Actually, I see ones. one that I think I have and maybe one that Jimmy did before. That's totally Ooh, fine. Okay. Most people haven't listened to all 5,000 episodes that we've done <laughs> or whatever that is. Okay, my first one is Rebuild. It's two and a blue for an instant. Three mana. It also has Cycling 2, which is you can discard this card and draw a card, which is relevant. But it says, return all artifacts to their owner's hands. Two in a blue for an instant. <laughs> has Cycling, just in case like you, it ever got stranded. You're like, I need to get, I need something else. Like, I, this doesn't solve it. Just boom, cycle it away. Well, and the pro, the one thing I've seen where when I use this card, um, the cycling comes up is I'm actually the one with the most artifacts and I don't really want to pull the trigger on it. Mm. That can happen. In which case, no big deal. Cycle it away. It doesn't hurt you much. But just, I mean, think of how many people play Evacuation, which is Blue's kind of instant speed, return all creatures to their owner's hand. It's Blue's Wrath of God. And that card sees a ton of play, and yet Rebuild sees almost no play and is more powerful, I would say. For one thing, it's three mana. For two, you know you have it, so you cannot play a couple of artifacts. And think of how many artifacts are often on the table. Plus, it gets around all that indestructible, you know, hexproof stuff that people do. Oh, it's so good. It's so good to play it as somebody swings in with their, you know, lightning grieved... (laughs) Uh, Whisper Silk cloaked, you know, sort of feast and famine creature, Voltron creature. Remove all the artifacts, block and kill it. It's so, that is one of my favorite things. Uh, I just love this card. It's a good one. Yeah. I really like it. And I like that the floor is cycle it away. Yeah. Yeah. That's Even really if you didn't have the cycling, I think the card would be great. The fact that it has it just puts it like, pushes it up. I don't know. However you grade these things. A letter grade if you're Marshall Sutcliffe. Being instant speed is also really important because a lot of the time when you're the first to board wipe, sometimes your opponents all get to rebuild before you. In this situation, you can maybe float mana or do it at the end of your opponent's turn. And then suddenly you're rebuilding all of your artifact mana. You're rebuilding everything if you happen to have artifacts. And then your opponent's they have to basically waste their entire turn. Well, I guess I'll place Soul Ring into Signet into Power Stone Pass. Yep. It's one of the reasons that Cyclonic Rift is so good. I mean, obviously, the biggest thing is that it only hits opponents. But the fact that it's instant means that you wipe all your opponent's stuff on the end step, and then you're going. And you can kind of do a similar thing. Obviously, it's not Cyclonic Rift. But 
rebuild is just very, very if good. If you can even get a percentage of Cyclonic Rift, yeah. you're talking about a great card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This card, I believe, should be probably in most blue decks. And I would say it's in such a low percentage. I've, I've, I've seen it cast, I think, one time in all my time playing Commander by anybody that's not me. Like, you need to be wow. playing this card. Rebu wow. Rebuild is, is the real deal. I was going to try and make a rebuild real deal pun. It just didn't come to me. <laughs> <laughs> Moving well, on. Well, I want to talk a little bit about artifacts, too, because okay. we've kind of identified them as a really important part of Commander. Everyone plays them. At least everyone plays Soul Ring. And a lot of times, you really lean heavily on them for your ramp. You lean heavily on them for a card draw in some colors. And really, they're everywhere. I mean, you're never going to look around a Commander game at turn five, and there's not at least, like, four artifacts on the table. It's... it, it I. It's never happened. Yeah. That, yeah. So, so let me talk to you about a card called Hammer Mage. One in a red for a creature. This is a human spell shaper. Spell shapers are also underrated. Just all of them. But I like this one specifically. Okay. It's a 1-1. One, one. For X in a red, you can tap Hammer Mage and discard a card. Destroy all artifacts with converted mana cost X or less. That's so, sweet. So you pay, what, four and, you know... X is three and a red, tap this, discard some land. And suddenly every signet, every mana rock, every soul ring, every like all sorts of stuff, everything that you play in artifacts is just destroyed. You just wipe them all away. It's that's, that's incredibly powerful. And the fact that it is repeatable. Oh yeah. So you can threaten it and then do it again and then do it again. It's so powerful to be able to control the board of artifacts. There's also a, powerful thing that happens with cards like this where it's on the board and now your opponents don't want to play their artifacts and so you really cramp them as far as what their options are you know oh man i have five cards in my hand but two of them are artifacts now i only have three cards in my hand right because i don't want to play the artifact if you're just going to be able to sort of get rid of them all for free and i don't know if you're going to do that or not and so all of a sudden you took my options down by 40 percent if you know i just made up those numbers um if you had seven cards it'd be more but doing the math very quickly <laughs> but but we know how that messes with you oh, in totally. similar situations where like nevinrel's disc and those kind of things come out and you suddenly just the way you have to play is it's so much harder yeah and that's actually why i think shatterstorm is actually a very good card too it just destroys all artifacts i think not enough people are playing that but i really like the spell shapers i really like this hammer mage and i like that what you're saying the ability to activate the fear of activation in everyone and also how selective it is you can say no you can keep that thing i'm just gonna wipe out all the small stuff well and you okay. can keep your own stuff too so like if you've got you know a gilded lotus you just do it for less than that and at least yeah. you still keep something there that's a big thing just to keep one thing blow away everybody's soul rings and signets mana crypts and stuff and josh brings up a good point you can still run artifacts oh, yeah. when you have artifact hate even if it's mass artifact hate it's totally fine again you you're in it. control of doing it so you don't even have to ever activate it right if you get in a situation where you're the one that's going to be the hurt most by it you don't do it you totally. don't have, and don't actually play the card either because then somebody will steal it and do it to you. That's just bad. <laughs> yeah. I like how you said best one paired with green. Yeah. And I and like I think why? that because red sometimes relies on artifacts a lot to be able to get some card draw, get some ramp. It really fleshes out the color. But when paired with green, you can kind of use green ramp uh, instead of artifact ramp. And that actually transitions me to another card. I'm going to throw two in here. All right. Uh, Molder Slug. Three green green for a slug beast. And this is a four six. So those stats aren't, aren't that bad. But it says at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player sacrifices an artifact. Ooh. 
It's that includes true. yourself. So it does, you are punished by this as well. But just imagine that every single time it goes around, everyone has to sacrifice an artifact. It'll slowly eat all of the artifacts on the table. And that's kind of the effect that you might want. And then now people certainly aren't going to play artifacts into this gross molder slug thing. It's also like, it's kind of like the shieldred has the only for your opponents, mm -hmm. but they sacrifice a creature. And the downside of that is that sometimes people have, um, they have tokens, they have creatures that they're willing to get rid of that are had an enter the battlefield effect or something. But, but artifact rarely falls into that category where it's like most of your artifacts are doing something that you want to happen every turn. So you don't want to like every once in a while, some people have a tireless tracker or something and have clue tokens. But besides that, your artifacts are not stuff that you have that are expendable. You're, you're trying to get rid of them. I mean, yeah. you're trying to keep them. You're not trying to get rid of them. So everything you're getting is a real card that's really hurting them. So I like that. Um, yeah, and I think it's great to just make sure to keep artifacts in check in general. And I don't know if we do a good enough job at that. I think that we have a lot of things where it targets specific artifacts. Maybe you run Putrefy or we run Cross and Grip because we know we need to get rid of them. And part of the time we kind of just save those and we don't go after the soul rings. We don't go after the, the easy mana. But when we have uh, the ability to affect every artifact on the table, I mean, we should try that out. I think it's going to be really good in your playgroup. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. I like it. Okay. My second one is, speaking of artifacts, <laughs> it's Lifeline. I'm just going to gobble that up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it just got sacrificed to Mulder Slug. <laughs> All right. It's Lifeline. It's a five-mana artifact. It says, you got to pay attention to the Oracle text on Lifeline because the text on the card is not correct. The Oracle text is, whenever a creature dies, if another creature is on the battlefield, return the first card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So this is a symmetrical effect. It works for all players. If any creature dies and it's not like they all died at that moment. So there has to be another creature on the battlefield. Then it comes back at the next end step for anybody, but presumably lifelines going in the decks that are sacrificing their own stuff and more likely to have things go to the graveyard than your average deck that's just playing its creatures and going to try to attack with it. Uh, the Marins and the Shadowborn Apostles and the Caridors and the, you know, those type of decks. It can be so brutal with, you know, Merciless Executioners and things like that. Uh, I really have seen this card do like insane things, but you have to be careful because I've actually had times when I played it and it helped my opponent more than me. Oh, yeah. I, I think that it's dangerous, but that doesn't mean that you don't go after it because it's a really fun effect and it can be really powerful. Yeah. I think that we try to get this effect uh, like Conjurer's Closet on a single creature and Lifeline just lets you do it to your entire board. It just kind of takes things up several degrees of awesome. Yeah, several degrees of yeah. awesome. Uh, I like this with uh, uh, Forbidden Orchard. Oh You're yeah! Just like, hey, look, there's a creature. Yep. You just, yeah, exactly. It's great. <laughs> hey, there's a creature. Even one, even like you have my hollow, so you can just regenerate one of the creatures if somebody board mm. wipes. Things like that, you know, really work well with Lifeline. I mean, it's one of those cards that kind of allows you to do really broken things because it's each end step. So I, if I'm sacrificing a creature, then I do it now, and then it comes back on end step, yes. and I do it on your turn. And you know, oh yeah, so it's it's pretty crazy. That's that's I because I mentioned like you know Conjurer's Closet. Now you're thinking not only can you do your whole board, but you can do it every single turn. It's Seedborn using a Conjurer's Closet. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, I want to talk about a little card uh, oh called 
Hall of Gemstone. Oh, you skipped ahead. Okay. Yeah, it's I not skipped oh boy ahead. Yet. I have. I skipped ahead. This is oh boy. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> is, but what, I thought. Okay. One Go. green, green for a world enchantment. This is oh boy. Okay, sorry. <laughs> At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player chooses a color. Until end of turn, lands tapped for mana produce the mana of the chosen color instead of any other color. So you get to double your lands for one color. No, no, no. This basically just shuts off other colors. So let's say you're playing a $2 oh. color deck, your five color deck. You have to choose what color. I only get blue mana for you that You only turn. get blue mana. Your lands only make blue mana. Oh, And what? then your next turn, you get to pick. You're like, all right, I guess I want to play a red spell this time. I'll pick red. And then all your lands tap for red this time. Hmm. <laughs> it's better than Blood Moon, though, so I don't hate it. No, it's, there's you still can, a workaround. There's totally say, a workaround. I can say white, and then I can disenchant it. D totally, yeah, okay. totally. So this is not this is not Blood Moon. Uh, this this does punish some people, uh, but I think it's like a fun mini game. That's it doesn't super work for frustrating. Too, for so it's yeah, actually... yeah, it's a much fairer version of this, but it's also in green. Yeah, which I think is really great that you have this sort of weird taxation effect, this weird staxy effect that change the rules of the game completely, and everyone has to interact with it. Everyone has to be like, oh, God, okay, what color do I pick? Wait, let me see that card, and that's <laughs> the best. I love it. You're that card naked singularity have you ever played that no one? what's that card it's an old one where like all the lands like if it would tap white it makes red but red makes blue, oh but I blue do makes know that. green. it's very like <laughs> it's so and every time you're like wait and yeah i love that card except for that i stopped playing it because it's so confusing you're like wait my green makes what now okay my red makes what now like you have to check that every time but similar type of effect i think I can see so much fun <laughs> your idea of fun okay all right all right <laughs> Okay, my next one is Trading Post. Boy, I hope I didn't say this one before. I feel like I might have, but, you know, if not, just pretend you didn't hear that episode. It's good I, enough. It's good yeah. enough to be mentioned more than once. So this is a four-mana artifact, and it's a lot of people call it like a mini Planeswalker because it has so many little abilities. So you have four choices of what you can do. You can pay one, tap the Trading Post, discard a card, and gain four life. You can pay one, tap it, pay one life, and create a zero-one goat token. You can pay one, tap the trading post, sacrifice a creature, and then you get to return an artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. Or you can pay one, tap it, and sacrifice an artifact to draw a card. And you can sacrifice the trading post to itself. So worst case scenario, you can always cycle it kind of. It's that five, five mana. Five mana draw card. So that's bad to do. But sometimes you... Sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you goat token a couple times, get an artifact back, and then eventually you're like, well, I need a specific answer. I'm going to die. I'm going to at least cycle it away. And by that time, the one mana you know, it feels okay for the investment. Like someone shatter storms and you're like, ugh, fine. And then you get your card out of it. That's that's yeah. actually okay. Whereas everyone else is down something, you've sort of rebought your card. Yeah, you didn't lose card advantage, at least on that one card. Honestly, the gain four life has saved me on multiple occasions hmm. where like just doing that two or three turns in a row, you get your, um, your uh, what's it called? Polluted bonds. Oh, I should have thrown this. You get your polluted bonds and you can sort of mitigate it a little bit. You know, once you're like, I got to play lands. I don't want to be taking the damage. Once you get down to like 16 and polluted bonds is out, it feels really bad to be playing lands. But you can get some of it back. And a lot of decks don't have any life gain at all. So just incidentally being able to is a big thing. Yeah, we, we kind of diminish. Like we say like, oh, life gain, whatever. But when it's incidental, when it's almost free, then that's pretty good. You want to chuck something anyways. And then you just... Hey, four life, sure, why not? Yeah, it's uh, not that life great. gain is bad. It's just that you don't know the games where you'll need it and where you won't. And so it's so narrow that if a card only life gains, then that's bad. But if it's on something else, 
the goat, the mega goat is the thing you do the most, and it can just save you life because somebody will be bashing in with like a 5-5 five, five or a 6-6. Six, six. You make a goat. Yeah, you pay one life, but at the same time, you saved yourself you know, from taking five, so it kind of gains you four in those instances too. It's just a card that always has a mode that's useful. Maybe doesn't usually have a mode that is amazing, although the sacrifice a creature to get an artifact back is the closest to that. Yeah. Um, but it, it almost never has a mode... It never just sits there and you're like, well, I can never use this thing. It's not going to do anything useful. Even just making goats, it sounds weird, but just having... <laughs> you're going to sacrifice Your them. You're going to block army. with them. Yeah, they, Combos with spring jack pasture. Cut, <laughs> <laughs> combo. But yeah, it's it's one of those cards I think is kind of like Deathrite where we were talking about the other day where it has a lot of modes and all of them seem pretty insignificant. But the fact that is that you can always find some advantage from one of them. And over the course of a few turns, it really does start to give you incremental advantage. Totally agree. All right. All right. I want to talk about my artifact on this list. Okay. And that's Proteus Staff. Oh, yeah. This card. <laughs> I used to play this a lot. Uh, I had a standard deck. Oh, that's that why I shouldn't have thrown that paper because we Proteus Staff. You're jumping around on me. I okay. am jump- I am jumping around. I'm <laughs> okay. sorry. No, I'm that's okay. I'm going to read you. over your shoulder. Okay. Uh, Proteus Staff is, is three mana artifact. And for two and a blue, you can tap it to put target creature on the bottom of its owner's library. That creature's controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a creature card. The player puts the card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of their library in any order. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. Now, in the Tuck days, I had this oh. in a lot of decks. In the Tuck days, this was this was even better. Oh, yeah, because you tuck their commander. And then you don't know what else you get. It used yeah. to be that you couldn't. If somebody put your commander into your library with, like, Chaos Warp or something, you, you couldn't put it back in the command zone. That wasn't one of the rules. And so you could just have it shuffled into your library somewhere and that could just turn your deck off um so this card was great and i sort of took it out okay i'm interested to hear what you're gonna say i think i know though okay i shouldn't have taken it out of everything is what you're gonna say yeah you shouldn't have taken it out of everything uh but it does work really well with some decks more than others you can create a sort of polymorph combo deck where you turn on a man land or you have a creature token and then you proteus staff it away and you know a limited amount of cards you're going to get i'm going to get tide spout tyrant or consecrated sphinx because those are the two cards in my deck or this eldrazi or that eldrazi or i have sensei's divining top out and i know what 100 what's there rack, yeah. all sorts of different ways to really abuse this but it also has the hidden mode of yeah, that creature over there, that Atali you have is way too powerful. You're going to get way too much advantage out of it. I'm just going to, yeah, I'm just going to spin the wheel. I'm going to put it on the bottom of your library and then let's see what you get. You sort of Chaos Warp, it's better because they're going to get a creature. Yes. Uh, Chaos Warp, they just flip the top card. And, and it's a spell or a land or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. This but is, they're going to keep going until they get yeah, a creature. They're going to get a creature, but a lot of times that's a sort of a desperation move. And a lot of times if you can't handle what's on the board, then anything else is better. And a lot of times the creature they have out is the best creature they've got, like new Lamog or something. Oh yeah. You're not you going to do, it. you're not going to get a, a creature flip that's worse than new Lamog, right? Or Emrakul or one of these, you know, and you see a lot of that Blightsteel Colossus type stuff. And so, you know, you know, you got a good chance of just hitting like a Mana Dork or an Oracle of Moldiah or something that's like, it's a good creature, but it's not going to kill you. Exactly. So I really like cards that have this this backup mode where you're like, all right, I'm going to use it to cheat crazy stuff out of my deck and it's going to be a fun little chaotic card. But I also like the ability to point it at someone else and really change the way the game plays. Mm-hmm. I dig it. And I think I, I'd like to combine that. Do you have something else about Proteus staff? 
I was gonna say I uh, I have it still in my Tim deck because the ability to untap it two or three times means that like Ooh. you I actually use it on my opponent's stuff more because if it's bad I do it again. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> Keep going. It's in your Tim deck. That's it. That's all. It's I in your Tim deck. You like to. So wait, wait, wait. But hang on. Your I, I, no, your wait, Tims wait. are very. Your Tims are very the much the same. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're the same. So if you Proteus staff your own Tims, no, no, the Tim deck has that... Fate Stitchers, Cures, Followers, all the stuff that untaps the Tims. In fact, that's the secret of the Tim deck is you don't play twenty Tims. You play one Tim and then twenty ways to untap the Tim. But then you can also play Proteus staff because that stuff will untap the Proteus staff. He successfully got the paper off the table, so that was good. You want to yeah. combine this one with another one? Yeah, I want to talk about Soldevi Excavations. Okay, Soldevi Ex Excavations is a land. And if Soldevi Excavations would enter the battlefield, sacrifice an untapped island instead. If you put Soldevi Excavations onto the battlefield, uh, if you don't put it in your zone as greater. So Basically, if you don't you sacrifice to, an island, then you just... Yeah, it's just it's stupid. You throw it away. You throw the land <laughs> you're gonna away. Sacrifice you're going to sacrifice an untapped island. Okay. But by the way, one thing that's important is that this doesn't come into the battlefield untapped. Right. Or it comes in untapped. It doesn't so, come in tapped. Exactly. Yeah. Which means that you're not technically down on mana well, because this thing taps... Well, you have to sacrifice an untapped island. But this taps for a colorless and a blue. Right. So it taps for two. Exactly. It kind of is a bounce land that can tap right now. Exactly. Yeah. Not bounce though, because you can't replay the island. You had to sacrifice it. So, but if you think about it, like, well, oh, okay, I have an island on the battlefield, and I would normally play just any old land. Both of those together tap for two. Right. In this situation, well, I do have to throw away this untapped island, but this single land also taps for two. It also does something else. Yeah. All of that stuff is like eh, incidental stuff. This is what I really like. It's one and tap to scry one. That sounds like a very small effect. Scry one's really it's good. It's not. It's not. Especially on a land, it is great to have just scry, scry, scry over and over again. The value that you get is so strong. And that's not to mention the combos that you can set up with this. Being able to manipulate the top or the bottom of your library is great, especially if you have a card like Proteus Staff, yep. where you can scry and say, oh yeah, I'll I keep that there. And then you know exactly what's on top of your library. And being able to manipulate that gives you a lot of corner case advantages, like a lot of little incidental advantages and just scrying things to the bottom. And what does this really take away? Well, that's the one thing I would say is it costs three mana to scry, basically, because it you're does. not tapping the land for th two and then you're tapping one other land. Um, so that it, it's not super cheap, but yeah, it, it has some great advantages. Would you play this in a deck that doesn't have some way to care about the top of its library? It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be Jaleva, but... I think I would. Yeah? Yeah. I think that... Well, let's just think about it in terms of utility lands. If you go down the list of utility lands, because this did get rid of an island, even though it taps for one blue and then it right. taps for a colorless. So it's almost like just a colorless utility land. Mm -hmm. uh, if we go down the list of which ones we want... Uh, I don't think it's in the top of the list, but I think it's nears it's in, in. I think it's in there toward the bottom in blue decks. Yeah, and I mean, mono blue could definitely afford to run it and probably two colors with blue. But I once you start getting to three colors, first of all, it's just hard to have an untapped island. Exactly. You know, it'd be too easy for you to have like a refuge land and a bounce land and you've got blue sources, but none of them are islands. But yeah. I like this card. I think that there is some risk, though, if you're running in a play group where uh, people like to take out those kinds of lands. Uh, sometimes you get worried about... Uh, some people say, I don't play bounce lands because I always get them strip mined. 
That, in my experience, is pretty rare. It, I think if it happens, it's really bad. But it seems like people don't use their strip mines on that. People and, shouldn't really use their strip mines on that. Like trying to mana screw someone in a game that goes along a long time, like a long game, isn't really good advantage for you. You've gone down a land compared to the rest of the board just to kind of like mize a land or two out of your opponent. I mean, maybe if I knew that deck was the powerful deck at the table, because the other part that's bad about doing that is you hurt yourself and one opponent, and then your other two opponents are not hurt at all. And so you actually just made two people rise above yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you're Because you're down a land. So that's, I don't think that people should be using strip mine to kind of mana screw people. I think that they should be using it to get rid of really problematic things. Guys, cradles, yeah. cabal coffers. Oh gosh, those are those, those, things, those yeah. are the cards you want to go after. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. On to my fourth one. I was really surprised when I looked on EDH Rec at the most played blue cards, and this was not among them. Really? In fact, Crypt Command still above this card, which I don't believe is correct. So it's Mystic Confluence. Three blue blue for an instant. It says choose three, and you may choose the same mode more than once. Option one, counter target spell unless its controller plays three uh, generic mana more. Return target creature to its owner's hand and draw a card. Remember, you choose three and you can choose the same mode more than once. So if a spell is being cast and they have, you know, four mana available, you can choose the mode of pay three more twice. And then you still get to draw a card or bounce a creature back to its owner's hand. Or you can bounce two creatures and draw a card. Or you can draw two cards and bounce one creature. Or you can just draw three cards. Super, super versatile. You know, last episode we talked about desertion. Mm-hmm. And how that was a problematic card in certain decks because leaving five mana open was just a lot to ask. And if you didn't find a good target, you could kind of waste those five mana. Mystic Confluence doesn't even allow that to happen because, well, if they don't play a spell you want to counter, you just draw three cards. And that's draw three cards at instant speed is pretty solid. Yep. You're going to refill your hand and maybe have more things to hold up later. Yep. Or... Oh, only one creature you want to bounce. It's a scary creature or whatever, and it's attacking you. You bounce that one creature, draw two cards. Or maybe there's three creatures that you don't like, and you bounce all three uh, on the inset before your turn as a huge tempo blowout to the entire table. I think this card's really strong. Yeah. I'm, I'm, when you when you said it's like not in the top, that drove me crazy. I'm like, how is this not in the top? Maybe maybe it's availability that it's been released in other It was sets a little recently. expensive. It did just get reprinted. So that's yeah. another reason I wanted to bring it up because it was a little expensive for a while. And so maybe that's the reason that a lot of people weren't playing it. It, it was only printed in the Commander products uh, originally, but it's been reprinted. And so I think it's going to be out there and you should definitely grab them. I, I, I really think this is in most cases better than Cryptic Command. Cryptic does have some... I might argue with you about that. I might think that Cryptic Command is better than Mr. Cryptic Confluence. does have some really good stuff like tapping out all of your opponent's creatures. Yeah. Honestly, though, that effect, while po super powerful when it happens, is pretty niche. And, I, and that's why I say most situations Mystic is better. I think there are definitely times when Cryptic Command is better. I, I just think don't the think... Draw the, raw, the raw draw three? Yeah. That is just a great mode. Plus Cryptic costs three blue. Um, which is m quite a bit harder to cast, and and so I think I think it's fairly close. So I would expect on EDH Rec for Mystic Confluence to be right around where Cryptic Command is because they're very similar cards, uh, but it's not even on the list. And Cryptic is, which makes no sense. And Cryptic is another card that is expensive. So it's at this point in time, it's more expensive than Mystic Confluence. So it's like go 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 buy some Mystic Confluences for sure. I yeah. think that card's great. Right. Was this the card that was this the yes. card that you were well, that was going, you were groaning about? Ooh. You were groaning about a little bit. Ooh, DJ, you're a mean person. <laughs> the card I'd like to talk to you about. 
like how you took on like a. I'm a nice person, actually. The I card I'd like, like to talk to you about is Nevermore. One white white for an enchantment that says, as Nevermore enters the battlefield, choose a non-land card name. Spells with the chosen name can't be cast. Uh, Josh, what kind of card do you think you would name with Nevermore? Well, I mean, there's one card of every opponent that I can see, and I know they want to cast really bad. Yeah. It's a commander. It's their commander. They literally have a card just revealed to you that they desperately want to be playing, and you can proactively just shut it off. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. And all, by the way, I think it's great because some people are all cocky with their Narset decks and they're going to just play it and their whole deck is built around it. It really does nothing without it. <laughs> they have like huge, they have ramp and then they have these huge costing cost cards. They don't have very much interaction and you're just like, yep, you can't play Narset. Doesn't that feel great? That has to feel great. <laughs> oh. You know what? Ah. <sighs> I don't play it. I don't mind when people play it. But again, I don't build my decks. You don't build your decks so yeah, focused? Yeah, I'm still, because I'm from the tuck, pre-tuck rule era, and I still sort of have this idea in my deck that I want my decks to be able to work without their commander, and I think about that when I deck build, but a lot of people do not. And yeah, I don't think it's necessarily bad to punish them for that. Yeah. The <laughs> Listen, there's no doubt it's an extremely powerful effect. And certain decks, let's say they're playing like a mono-black deck, they just have like no ways to handle an enchantment like maybe two in the entire deck yeah. if they're lucky unstable obelisk is something i like scour to from existence yeah. you know maybe that new meteor golem will become one of those but that's it <laughs> but yeah even mono red has a real they have chaos warp kind of it um again they have nev's disc and, and some colorless things so there are certain decks where if you do that like let's say the atali deck Oh my gosh, I love it so much. <laughs> your your eyes get so happy when you just oh, consider doing it. that to someone. <laughs> See, I'm on the other side of the fence where I just feel bad about that level of like premeditated. They, des they hate. deserve it. <laughs> okay, but also it also has the mode of of let's protect the thing I'm doing too. That's true. Uh, I can't deal with a board wipe. I know my meta. You know, toxic deluge. You know, sure. You can't do that. If you that got Gattaque and less. then named Toxic Deluge, oh there gosh. you're probably you may be pretty safe. But I was gonna say there's so <laughs> but many. You're board right. There's so many. There's so many different things you kind of have to know, and it's a definite hedge. I think it's way better to be aggressive. How many times have you ever seen Nevermore played and it did not name a commander? Yeah, it mostly names a commander. I'd say 99 percent of the time it's naming a yeah. commander, and a lot of times it's the Narset or it's the spooky one at the table. Which, if you're playing one of those, it's pro like. If you're playing a Narset, full two Narset deck, you're probably playing in a more competitive type of area. Not that it's tier one, but it's it's up there. Um, and so Nevermore is probably fair game. or And you probably should be the target, you know? So maybe it's fine. Yeah. Maybe it's fine. I just feel bad for the people that's like, you know, Saskia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Josh already feels bad about Nevermore. He feels bad about it. Let's take it up a notch, okay? I want to talk to you about the uh, real underrated card. Oh, yeah. Null Chamber. Three and a white for another world enchantment. Love world enchantments. As Null Chamber enters the battlefield, you and an opponent each choose a card name other than basic land card name. Spells with the chosen names can't be cast and lands with the chosen names can't be played. So now... This is double can, Nevermore. Because you can work with somebody. Exactly. You always work with someone. And you're just like, look, let's you name that and you name that. And then we'll team up and it's a double nevermore that you can politically wield at the table <laughs> oh it's great <laughs> <laughs> 
Here, at least it's a world enchantment, so you know they could pack a couple world enchantments in yeah, their deck to get rid of your world enchantment. <laughs> if you didn't know, there's only allowed to be one world enchantment out mm-hmm. at any given time. So at least you know mono black could play uh, the uh, nether could, void. Nether void. <laughs> that and, card's like five thousand dollars. Yeah. Nether void and uh, oh, what's the is like the abyss? Is that a world? The abyss enchantment? is also world enchantment. Another five hundred dollar card or something. Yeah. Concordant Crossroads is a green card. That's a there you go. Green doesn't care. They get kill enchantments. I know. It's red and black <laughs> yeah, that right. have troubles. Yeah. Oh man, Null Chamber so good. Also, you you don't become the one guy with the Nevermore. That's what I like it's about Null Chamber. Te- it's a team. It's like, all right, let's let's do this. Like, By the way, you're playing two at a giant kind of after that. Like, love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I'm not scared of those cards, but I still feel bad about playing them. <laughs> <laughs> they're not I think that they're they're fun cards they're used for a specific meta they have a specific intent but you're right you're not you're not super frightened when someone turns off your commander because you know in your commander decks you're probably fine with that and most of them it's like it's mildly annoying but my deck's gonna work yeah yeah, yeah well. maybe our format needs more people playing cards like that though so people will build their decks that way and not go so all in on their commander but I have a feeling that it's gonna go where people just get salty you can expect a lot of people to concede when you do this move by the way so wait a second. This I, is a I, this is a three mana and a four yeah, mana I win. win the game. No, only this sounds even better. This is a three mana or four mana destroy target opponent. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't win the game because you can't <laughs> never more everybody. Well, that's true. If you can bounce it and replay it it's after the one person me. concedes, <laughs> Josh found the tech. <laughs> okay, um, I've got two left. I've got three left. All right, perfect. Yeah. We're in, we're in, we're in good shape. Okay, um, my next one is Vulc. Oh no, I've got three left. Oh, Sorry. you do have three left. We're good. We're perfect. One got formatted weird in the outline. Okay. Volcanic Vision. Five red red for a sorcery. Return target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. And then Volcanic Vision deals damage equal to that card's converted mana cost to each creature your opponents control. And then you exile Volcanic Vision. This was from a commander set too, I believe. Um, it's the type of card that even when you read it now, it's like seven mana... It seems crazy, but the thing is, the board wipe is buying you the time you need, and the board wipe will mostly take out everything. Like, we have this idea that there's constantly these huge creatures on the board, but that just doesn't tend to be Mm -hmm. the case. The reality is, if you can get back, let's say you get back Mystic Confluence with Volcanic Visions, and you do five to all creatures, that's going to get rid of almost everything all the time. It's definitely, there might be a creature or two standing, but often it will get rid of just everything. And then, you know, maybe there's like a worm coil engine still sitting there. But that actually buys you the time to play the card that you that you got back. I like to get cards back like, I don't know, Force of Will or something. That'd be great. But you don't have to go crazy. Even just getting Mystic Confluence. Yeah, so you were describing Mystic Confluence. Like, Hour of Devastation is three red red for five damage around the board. Right. You just spent two more generic mana to get back a Mystic Confluence? Yeah. Which is great. And you're feeling amazing in that situation. And if it's late game too, you can hold up the Mystic Confluence and that makes your opponents be like, crap, what do I do now? Also, my favorite thing to get back is like extra turn spells or, or, or those type of things. <laughs> the ones that don't excel themselves like time stretch and things like that. And those are just, that's just backbreaking. You just win the game when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a card that's like, it's worst case scenario, wipe the board, you get value. And it's best case scenario is backbreaking, win the game good is very powerful and i just think this card's underplayed i think people are too reticent to play the damage based stuff it's like when you learn about commander 
it takes you a little bit and then you learn oh damage based stuff is just not as good and then you swing the pendulum way too far to the side of it's not good to where i'm never playing it and you're like no it's slightly worse than in regular magic but it's still good and usable and has you know most of the time does what you want and so don't discount these cards that do damage based stuff blasphemous act is still great yeah and volcanic visions can often be a blasphemous act that draws you the best card out of your graveyard i love it Probably an Emrakul because that's the thirteen mana cost that you'd be. Getting <laughs> no, no, you can only get an instant or sorcery. Oh, only an instant. What's the yeah. thirteen CMC instant or sorcery? Is one of them there? Uh, I don't know. Um, Enter the infinite. How much does that cost? Is that an, uh, oh, a sorcery? I don't, know. Yeah. I don't know. We're trying to get thirteen. <laughs> we're trying to Council build. We're like trying eight. to build our Time own blasphemous act. Time stretch. It's ten. Just, you get yeah. It does ten damage <laughs> to everything, and you get two extra turns when you cast it. I don't like. know that three damage extra damage from blasphemous act <laughs> seems important. Uh, one thing I think that is important though is that this does cost seven mana yes. and does require something in your graveyard. Yeah. So this doesn't fulfill the role of the stabilizing, like the early stabilizing board wipe. Right. Sometimes decks really want to be able to wipe the board on turn five or right. turn six so that they can just kind of like, okay, breathe and then I'll set up again. This is an awesome big late game play. Uh, and that's why it is so powerful. And, and people confuse it i think they think that it doesn't fulfill the role of what they want but this is just a way more awesome board wipe that does something extremely powerful and and i think people forget the text your opponent's control on this card. oh yeah, yeah yeah so it's not blasphemous act exactly it's blasphemous act if it only hits your opponent's creatures that does make it a ton better you get to keep your mizics you get to keep your vile smasher you get to keep you know your stuff and that's a really big deal in a board wipe that's going to get rid of most of their things or maybe all of their things. You just found out what decks Josh plays this card in. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. I, I don't know. There's been many times where I've played Vulcan Visions and that's the end of the game. Wow. Yeah. Where people scoop because they go, okay, all my creatures just died and you just got back something crazy. Yeah, and my, you've negated my next play. I'm going like, to spend, so I have to spend my next turn rebuilding and which means you're going to get to your next turn and I know what you're going to cast because it's Demonic Tutor. It's, you know, <laughs> An Cyclonic Rift. It's, you know, if, if I'm going to spend my next turn rebuilding and you just got Cyclonic Rift back in your hand, like I, I can't win this game. Yeah. Yeah. So, so good. All right, go ahead. All right, I got another, I got a spicy one here. Dream Halls. This is this is a good one. This is a Jimmy favorite. Three. This is Jimmy's favorite. Oh man, uh, a I Jimmy's favorite. Yeah. Dream Halls is three blue blue for an enchantment. Rather than pay the mana cost for a spell, its controller may discard a card that shares a color with that spell. All your cards become like Force of Will or Misdirection or something. Ah, this is so great. It's, it's so great. It really just fundamentally changes the rules of Magic. Oh, yeah. And this is another symmetrical effect that people are afraid of. And you should be a little bit concerned, but I think one of the things we're talking about, like you mentioned lifeline earlier, sometimes you don't have to be overly afraid of symmetrical effects when you're the one that are really, really abusing it. And you can abuse this. I think one way you abuse it is just by having more card draw. That's the deck. main way to do it. If that you have a deck that's likely to have more cards in hand at all times than your opponents, Dream Hall is probably good. You just have more resources than them. Well, you think about it, that your cards in hand become your like your mana. And so if I have... 30 cards in hand and my opponents have seven each that means i have 30 mana compared to their seven kind of in a weird way yeah that oh, that's yeah. the big way to take advantage of dream halls and you see insane things happen when this card hits the battlefield totally insane things 
changes the rules of magic. It's crazy. Um, also, I want to call attention to it because it's getting expensive yeah. and it's on the reserve list. Yeah. And so if you do kind of want to try out get it now, an insane way of playing magic, because this is this leads to amazing stories and craziness. And so I agree with Josh. Just pick it up if you want to play with it. I remember we played a game with Josh Kim from Game Nights and Jimmy and me, and I think Vinny was in it too. Somebody got out of Dream Halls, and Jimmy and Josh Kim started to have this counterspell war, and the stack <laughs> got like 40 cards deep to the point where we were like ordering it on the table because we were losing track of it. Yeah, that those are the type of things that happened with Dream Halls. And completely separate <laughs> from this instance, I have had the exact same thing happen. <laughs> Now, if that sounds fun to you, and it's it's pretty cool, it's pretty actually, fun. than Dream Halls. Yeah, it's a good point about the reserve list, too. Go grab it. Okay, here's a card I looked at for many years, and I just thought a lot of the things that I think I think about many cards like this, it's expensive, it's a creature, the effect doesn't seem worth it, but I have now gotten it on the table enough times, and it's so incredibly powerful once it's out that I've kind of turned around on this card. I, I think a couple of years ago, I would have been very meh. And now I'm like, man, if you could play this card, you probably should. Because sometimes it, it can just kind of win the game by itself in a weird way. It's Karavek the Merciless. Now, this is a legendary creature, but I mean in the 99. I think when it's your commander, it's a lot less powerful. People start to prepare for it, think about it. They make deals about what's going to happen with it before it comes out. They can't do that if you play it on turn you know, six or seven out of the, your 99. It's a legendary creature, Human Shaman. Again, five black red. It's a 5-4. None of that matters. What matters is the text. It says, whenever an opponent casts a spell, Karavek deals damage to any target. Any target equal to that spell's converted mana cost. Whenever your opponents cast a spell, you throw that CMC and damage at stuff. It's incredibly powerful. In fact, it often, you if you want, you can just use it to just kill somebody. It's, it's not the first spell. Nope, it's every spell they cast. <laughs> and it's not at random. You choose. <laughs> it's so great. It's when people realize it, it's like you often play it and people are like, okay, okay. And then they cast a spell and you're like, you know, okay, I'm going to deal four damage to blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, okay. And then they cast a spell and you're like, oh, I'm going to do five damage. And they're like, wait, that's the point where they realize, oh. And then the next opponent's going to do that. And the next opponent, if, if they don't remove it in run, one rotation, I think you win most of those games. I remember we were playing before and it was, there was a, there was a Krevik on the battlefield and then we're just casting instance into nowhere, hoping that they can deal the damage somewhere else. I believe it was at a Zakama. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was just like, we need to kill that Zakama. Uh, I'll flash in this thing. And I'll I just play care. this yeah. stupid draw spell. Okay. Yeah. I'll just point it at the Zakama, point it at the Zakama, point it at the Zakama. And suddenly that Krevik did so much and it brings other people together yeah yeah it's it's just an incredible card and it it does have all the pitfalls that you would think it's a lot of mana if it gets removed right away but if it's not the first thing they remove right away you're going to throw some damage somewhere and it kills planeswalkers but also i've definitely used it to knock out like players where it's just like Listen, I'm just going to throw everything at that person's face. And know? then one, seriously, just one round of the table yeah. can just have that person out of the game. Oh, yeah. Because if everybody's got eight mana, that's going to be like 24 damage if they use it all. And that's just eight mana. You know, oftentimes people have 15 mana and it's just insane. Yeah. And if you trust the other person, you're just like, all right, I'll play this. I'll play Volcanic this. I'll play Visions. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that would, <laughs> that would no, kill no, no. Karavik. Well, no, I'll target play... my swan song with it and then exactly. it won't kill Karavik. <laughs> 
All right. Okay. Uh, I have another mean one. Oh, this one I think I've said before, actually. Oh, you've said this one before? So go, because I like this card a lot. Uh, Pendril Mists. Three and a blue for an enchantment. All creatures have, at the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice this creature unless you pay one. So it's an enchantment version of Tabernacle at Pendril Vale. Can can normal people play Tabernacle at Pendril Vale? I mean... What do no, you mean by no normal? normal no yeah. normal person can play that. It's How like, much money is that now? It's like it's it's, it's in the thousands. It's thousands and thousands. Yeah. thousands I know of that Craig insane. has an Italian one that he pulls out sometimes, and it's the worst. <laughs> it's just like if you have a creature deck, you're just like, ah. Oh, it good. really just shuts down entire strategies. Yeah, token strategies are done. Yeah. Even like modest, like I just want two creatures on the battlefield. This just takes away two mana from you every turn, which is incredibly powerful. Mana dorks are just useless. The worst. They just break even. <laughs> Yeah, this card. Oh my gosh. This card is brutal. It 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 doesn't sound like much, but if you have three creatures, think about that. You have three creatures, and let's say you have seven mana. If you want to keep the creatures, you have four mana. You're on turn seven, and they you think you should be doing you. some great stuff, and then now suddenly you're on turn four. That's insane. And you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna let one of these die so I can cast a five drop. If that's a creature, now you're back in the same position you were in. Yeah, I love and then it. you just wonder how many creatures will this end up killing. It goes around the table, and a lot of times people are like, it's not worth it. Just throw these away, throw these away, throw these away. And suddenly you have an enchantment that just, like, cold the field of, like, five or six creatures and then still is taxing your opponents. Yeah, it's really, really yeah. good. Man, you, you're just, you, you got all these little hate cards. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> okay, on to my last one. So I put this on my list, and I was like, I'm actually not sure. Maybe a lot of people play this because it's really good. And every time I see it, it's really good. And so I went on to EDH Rec to just kind of check because I don't want to be like, this is an underrated card. And then people are like, that's in every deck. And I was thought this card might fall. I was like, I'll probably have to cross this one off. Did you know that Mana Gorger Hydra sees more play than the card I'm about to mention? Mana Gorger Hydra. When Josh mentioned this to me, I was like, what? No, what? Now, I know Mana Gorger Hydra was in a pre-con, which tends to bump it up. But it's it's in like a lot more decks on EDH Rec than this card. The card is Teamer Sabertooth. This is quickly becoming a card that I just incidentally mentioned so much on the show that it feels like it should start to go in like almost every green deck. It's that powerful because green decks are usually creature-based strategies. So Teamer Sabertooth, two green green for a 4-3. It's a creature. It's a cat. Has an activated ability. You pay one and a green. And here's where they made the mistake. One and a green, colon. There's no tapping or anything. So if you have two and two green, you can do this twice. And it says, you may return another creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do, Teamer Sabretooth gains indestructible until end of turn. The indestructible thing can come up, but it's not. It's nice that your bounce activated ability, like this tool, gets indestructible. Right. So here's the thing. You're bouncing one of your creatures to your hand. Only yours. You can't bounce your opponent's creatures. But what this tends to mean is that I bounce my Eternal Witness back to my hand and then replay it. I bounce my Acidic Sign back to my hand and then I replay it. I bounce because if you think about Reclamation Sage back to my hand and then I replay it. If you think about green, you know, I bounce my Nulamog back to my hand and I replay it. I bounce my Peregrine Drake or my, you know, Palancron or all of these other combo-y type cards too. Yep. So Teamer Sabretooth allows for a strategy that is subtly different than Blink and also gives you that same strategy that Blink has in colors that don't normally blink. So, you know, if you're in green-black, you can bounce your Sidisi back to your hand. 
Undead Vizier and play it again and exploit something else and now tutor again. You can do all kinds of amazing things, and it, it's all unlocked by this one card that has a pretty unique effect in Mono Green that's hard to replicate. And Mono Green's also really good at just going infinite on mana. Mm-hmm. And so I had a game in GP Vegas where somebody got infinite mana with a teamer Sabertooth and a Six Slime out, <clears throat> and they just infinitely replayed that and destroyed everybody's lands and everything else that wasn't a creature, and that was the end of that game. Jeez. Yeah, and so it can be a win condition in a weird sort of way, too. This is just a card that if you're not playing it, give it a hard look. It has a ton of versatility. Also, it gives itself indestructible and bounces something. So even in a very baseline case where I don't even have an enter the battlefield creature, right? It's just my commander. Hmm. Teamer, Sabertooth, and my commander are the only things out, maybe. And somebody goes to board wipe. Bounce my commander back to my hand. Teamer Sabretooth is indestructible. Their board wipe doesn't even barely touch me. I now play my commander without the commander tax. That's so, and that's, so good. And that's like the floor of this card. It's like the bottom case scenario, you know? Or Birds of Paradise is out with Teamer Sabretooth and somebody board wipes. Boom. Indestructible, bounce it, and replay. That's, yeah. Like, it's great. Like, and which, which could have been a horrible scenario for you. You want this kind of effect in green, too. You want to be able to protect your stuff because you commit so much to the board. You have to in these creature based strategies. Yep. You have to play the birds, and it's vulnerable out there. And whenever you can remove some of that downside, you kind of embrace it. I think at the time of this recording on EDH Rec, it's in somewhere around 4,000 decks, which is still a lot. But this should be in 10,000 decks. This is an insanely powerful card. Please, please put this in enough decks that it's above Mana Gorger Hydra, okay? It's <laughs> Josh hating on Mana Gorger Hydra. Mana Gorger Hydra is so, like, nothing. And this card is ridiculous. If, if you take away one thing from my picks, Team or Sabretooth is the thing. Wow. Okay. Okay. You're on to your last one. On to my last Are one. You, do you feel as... You know, no, I don't. Okay. I actually think Teamer Sabretooth is way better than this last card, <laughs> but I'm gonna, but I'm gonna sell it to you. Okay, okay, I'm gonna sell it to you uh, because you might look at me skeptically when I'm I read Jumbo this. I'm Commander, one. and I approve yeah. this message. <laughs> Cerebral Vortex, one blue red for an instant. Target player draws two cards. Then Cerebral Vortex deals damage to that player equal to the number of cards they've drawn this turn. So one thing we're talking about is the floor of a lot of these cards. Mm -hmm. The floor of this card is instant speed, three mana, draw two, lose two. Yep. By the way, in blue-red, that's not that that good. It's just like, okay, I like instant speed stuff. Uh, What I love is the flexibility of this card. It almost feels a little bit like Rakdos Charm. You know, with Rakdos Charm, it's got three modes. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Exile a Graveyard, I think, or... Definitely deal one damage to each player or to each player for each creature they control. Oh yeah, that's, that's the, the mode. I'm, that's the mode that's I'm talking about. One. That's the one that <laughs> that's the one that kills you. And this this normally it's like oh yeah, it's just I I have a little bit of a suboptimal draw spell, but every so often it kills you. Someone draws. <laughs> 40 cards, 50 cards. Someone has a consecrated sphinx and goes off and you're just like, I'm going to make you draw two more and then kill you. <laughs> that's but, one of my favorite ways to kill people too is it's based so on their cards. Because in it's, hand, yeah. their, it's their greed too that's doing it. It's the, I you, love you that. Just, I'm sorry, you, f- you flew too close to the sun. I like this card in uh, uh, Nekusar mm-hmm. where I sort of wheel and you're wheeling and everyone's taxed and they're like, oh man, it's so bad. And then at the end, you can just kill someone with this do just a little bit more to finish them off uh and it's really good forked no 
Yeah, so like if right. they draw like they don't have to draw a ton like seven or so you cast it they take nine but you forked it and now it counts to the cards they already drew so they take nine plus another 11 and that's 20 damage yeah. right there oh my gosh yeah i've definitely forked it and killed some people with the next star deck it's it's sweet it's it's a sweet card and i and i like how flexible it is yeah i i like it and again you can make yourself draw two so it can just be draw two take two yeah you know, that's or, that's a that's not a very bad downside, especially at instant speed. I like things at instant speed. Well, it would be draw two, take three if it wasn't an instant speed because you'd have to play yeah, it on you your can. turn. So that's I think why they made it instant so you can kind of do it on somebody else's turn. Absolutely, and you haven't drawn any cards yet. Yeah. Okay, that is going to do it. That's it. That's the list. Josh, what what card do you think you you liked the most in terms of today? Like, what do you think is an underrated card that you're kind of of excited mine or about? of yours? I'm gonna I don't know. From, I'm gonna pick. Well, why don't I pick from yours and you pick from mine? Hold on. I gotta okay. Pick. I gotta pick up the other creature. I think the one that I like the best that you talked about is Disrupt Decorum. Um, that's a card that I have seen played only a couple of times. And it's the one that I always am like, I gotta go back and put this in a couple of decks. Like my Nekusar deck would love that card because it doesn't want to get attacked with creatures. It's trying to whittle everybody down and therefore all that stuff works together. And in fact, I need to write myself a note to go put it in the deck. And I've done this before. Where I've been like, go put it in the next star deck. And then, you know, stuff happens and you forget. So I'm circling it. I'm circling it. I'm circling <laughs> it. And I'm putting Nekusar. And let's hope I remember this time. Yeah, I think that card. You named a lot of really good ones, but that one is the one that I was oh. like, dang it. I keep meaning to use I it. I love that card. I think that the m- biggest surprise was Mystic Confluence, that it wasn't more played. That's the thing that blew my mind when you explained it. But I got to say the favorite card the, of my of mine that you mentioned, Caravec the Merciless. It's just so good, and I'm a little bit sad that I didn't think of that idea. It's so, such a good idea. It's just, if you just see it hit the table like once or twice, you just, I mean, against you too. I think we were playing in, I don't know where I was, but uh, Olivia Gobert Hicks, who's a, a cosplayer in Magic, she got it out, and it was just like, everyone's looking at each other like, oh, can you get rid of it? No, no, no. Oh, well, we're going to lose then. Like that card just literally will kill us. Cause what yeah. are we going to do? Not cast spells. Yeah. It just would, it would just take over the game. It, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So now it's time for to the listeners. And uh, today's question is fairly obvious. I think. How about you? I won't say anything. How about you? What are your underrated cards? If you could list like one or two in the comment section, I think it would be really useful to other people as they come and find this episode later. And, you know, we want cards that you put in your decks and think are sweet, but you just don't see across the table from you very Mm -hmm. often or to your left or right, as it were. That will be, I think, really cool. And um, maybe I'll learn a card or two from it. Absolutely. Maybe I'll learn about the next. Sometimes you play with a card and like you're like, I know about that card. And then someone brings it up and you're like, actually, that's yeah. I did. Yeah, I like that card. Like you knew about Disruptacorum. It wasn't like I taught you a new card, but you're like, oh yeah, my Nekusar deck. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I need to do that. And it gets you excited about old decks, man. I I love this kind of stuff. Sometimes too, the card is a card that doesn't look good on the surface until you've played it a few times. And then you realize like Caravec, Volcanic Vision, I think fall into those categories. I think Volcanic Vision does definitely. Yeah, where it's just like, it doesn't, even when I read it now, it doesn't seem that good. But once you've played it a few times, you're like, it just plays better than it reads for whatever reason. Again, please comment in the comment section so we can keep a good list. Uh, and again, we're probably going to do another episode like this someday, or at least I will based on past experience, and I'm going to need to... I'm running out, so I need your help. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're going to do the giveaway. So, pretty cool here. Again, uh, our friend Joe Scalora, who used to give us books in the past, he uh, works at Harper Collins now, and there's a new book 
by R.A. Salvatore. Do you know who R.A. Salvatore is? I have. I've read a bunch of his books. Not recently, but I have read a bunch of them before. So in the old days, uh, I used to read his books too back in the 90s when I was in like middle school and early high school. Um, it was... Is it Drizzt? Drizzt Orton, yeah. yeah. So Drizzt Orton is a dark elf character that R.A. Salvatore is sort of the most famous character he's created. He created a bunch of other ones. And so there was the Icewind Dale trilogy. Um, it's a Forgotten Realms, which is a Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. world. The Dark Elves are this pretty cool race of elves, but they have dark skin and they live underneath the ground. And they're a matriarchal society, so the women are not just in charge of society. They're like the strong ones. They're like physically stronger than the males and stuff. And Drista Orden is a weapon master in that world. <clears throat> and so I haven't read any... Uh, Ari Salvatore books in quite some time, but I heard this book was coming out. It was on their sort of list of, again, it's coming out September 4th. So not for a little while, but if you enter this contest, you could win this book and get your hands on it early, probably in August at some time and have it before anybody else. And he's a really good writer. It's called Timeless. And so how you are going to enter if you want to win the book is for each episode of the Command Zone, on Twitter, we make a post just sort of announcing that the episode is out. So if you reply to that, post and use the hashtag timeless anywhere in your reply then you'll be entered to win and i think we have 10 copies to give away so free books free books anything better than that i believe it'll be a hardcover too because usually the hardcover comes out and then the paperback much later so that's cool don't quote me on the hardcover thing it might be a paperback but i think it's a hardcover <laughs> okay let's go on to the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic i finally have one it's the handmaid's tale have you seen this show I have seen the show. I haven't seen all of it yet, but it's really good and well acted too. Oh, the acting is insane. So Elizabeth Moss, I think, is the main girl, and she is from West Wing and Mad Men and just an incredible actress. Not to mention that everybody else in the show is just – the performances are great. The cinematography is incredible. It's a <laughs> – Jimmy turned me on to it, and Jimmy called it depression porn. <laughs> Which I thought was a pretty apt description. It's not like a fun, happy-go-lucky. It's a dystopian future. It's based on a book by Margaret Atwood. Yes. You said you read the book? Yes, I've read the book. I've read a lot of Margaret Atwood. She is a great uh, author. Great, great, Love great it. author. And so they've adapted it, uh, the book. So it takes place in modern times now. According, like It's been changed a little bit. But it's very, it's very poignant. Like. It's super, super relevant to a lot of the discussions going on now, which is a great thing about it. But not just that. It's just very compelling on its own. So if you haven't checked out The Handmaid's Tale, I would highly recommend it. I believe they're nearing the end of their second season now. I just caught up the other night. So now, up until now, I've been able to sort of binge it two or three at a time. And now I'm like, is it next week yet? <laughs> That's the worst That's part. That's the way of it. Okay. Something else that I wait for every single week is the Masters of Modern Podcast with Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. They talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. They've started doing video content for the first time, so you can find them on YouTube. I think if you just put in the search bar, Masters of Modern, you'll find them. And they talk about, you know, the, the coolest brews and all the new bands and Restricted, although there wasn't any this, this latest time. But they're just really smart guys about the format, so definitely check them out. You can go to uh, Twitter at uh, the MM cast and find them also next to us at collected.company. Before you wrap up, DJ, mm -hmm. let's give your information. Oh, yeah. My name's DJ, and you can find me at Jumbo Commander. 
my YouTube channel, Jumbo Commander, has all sorts of deck techs. The most recent deck tech uh, is Nicol Bolas the Ravager. Oh, yeah. I haven't checked that one out yet, but I'm very excited to see what I, you did with it. I, I thought that it just would be like, oh, I guess I'll do just do Grixis good stuff. No, I'm so excited. You, yeah, it turned yeah, out sweet? it turned out really sweet. As you were going, you just started being like, oh, oh, oh. I started putting together like discard and some reanimator and some dragons and some flavor, and suddenly just things started gelling together. And I think it's going to be a really fun deck to play. Sweet. So definitely check that one out. And um, and also, oh yeah, our editor is Craig Blanchett. And special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Card animations at Living Cards MTG. That's a good looking background. Yeah, that's one of the. I'm, it's something from Rival of Effect Salon. I'm not sure. I think it, a lot of times it's just one of the lands because that's what looks the best. So I don't always know the card names, but Jeffrey does an incredible job. So thanks, Jeffrey, and thank you all out there for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>